You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pull Box Podcast. This is episode number 73 and I'm your host, Curtis Finley. I'm your other host, Michael Cohen. And um, we to tie in with the release of the Valerian movie that's out yep. sometime, hopefully around whenever this episode comes out, uh, <laughs> we are reading the first volume of the French comic series Valerian and Loreline. Yep. Um, yeah, this one is called The City of Shifting Waters. And it's not the volume that the movie's based on, as far no. as I know. I think the, volu- the movie's based on the second story. But uh, yeah, I, the the yeah. second volume of the comic is Empire of a Thousand Planets, and the movie is called City of a Thousand Planets. Right. So that must be uh, must be what it is. But I didn't have that one, so uh, yeah. we're we're reviewing this one. Um, I was gonna pick up um, the same company. Uh, what is it called? Cine Cinebook um, has re- re- recently released um, like a three in one kind of volume hardback yeah. that. Uh, that collects the first three stories. I was going to get that, but it didn't come on. I didn't get my act together for this episode. So we just have um, this one that I've actually had for a while um, because I I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a good start to the series. And I think that um, there are, there are like 20 volumes or something like that. Mm. And um, it, uh, uh, yeah, I've only read this one, so I don't, I can't really speak to any of the the rest of the series. Yeah. But it stars. Um, okay, it's first of all, it's French. It's a Franco-Belgian comic, and it's written by Pierre Christen, and illustrated by Jean Claude Meijers or something like that. I'm. This is, these are French names, so yeah. I'm sorry about butchering the pronunciation on those, but that's my best attempt. So this is a comic series from the 60s. Yeah. And I didn't realize that when I first bought it. Uh-huh. And um and there are part of it is like okay, I understand why some of the dialogue is kind of a little thick in places yeah. and such, but at the same time I think about um I think about where like say Marvel Comics was in 1967. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just kind of getting past their 6 or 7 year mark. Yep. And this is way more um just mature and way yeah. more developed in terms of story and, and just concepts and such. It's it's a little bit more of a pulp version of the Eternaut. Like that's kind of yeah. it's a very similar sort of um, hard sci-fi angle, but this is a little bit more of like your sort of um, Edgar Rice Burroughs pulp adventure yeah. kind of story. Yeah. It's like it's a very John Carter-esque. It does have uh, that feel for, for sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it stars the two titular characters, Valerian and Laura Line, who are part of the do they what's the name uh, uh, the, the the spatial temporal agency, yeah. I guess they're they're spatial temporal agents. They travel yeah. through space and time, and uh, and that's kind of cool. And solving solving problems with uh, time travelers and and having yeah. to set history back to 
the way it's supposed to be, which is a cool concept, something that has been done over and over again. Like mm-hmm. Legends of Tomorrow is pretty much exactly that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very poorly done. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what, what a great concept, because each volume yeah. will take them to a different period of time. Yeah. And so this volume takes us actually to the future, <laughs> 1983, or 1986, yeah. <laughs> which is so funny. Yeah, the far-flung future of 1986. Huh. But it's actually their past, because these yeah. characters are from the 24th, no, the 20, yeah, the 28th century, Yeah, and uh, where it's kind of a cool history. Um, in 1986, there was like, the, the, the Cold War sort of didn't end, and it escalated yeah. to the point where uh, in 1986... They've set off a whole bunch of nukes, and the planet was kind of destroyed. Yeah. And so there is this period, this large gap in just general knowledge of history between 1986 and the 28th century, or 20, the 24th, 24th century. Because tw- in the 24th century, they discovered space-time travel. Right. And then from then on, they kind of, they, they don't get into it specifically in this one, and I'm I'm curious to find out if they do in the other ones, and I feel like the Empire of a Thousand Planets might actually might actually get into some of this stuff. But the idea that basically from the point in the 24th century forward where they can travel to any time and place, yeah. it's their time is kind of irrelevant. Because the way that Valerian refers to, like, sort of, like, the, their traveling and that sort of thing, you can kind of tell that, like... The they they kind of they refer to it as a as like a forbidden zone, mm-hmm. and that zone is pre twenty fourth century. Right. So they can travel any time from the twenty fourth century forward because everybody's time traveling from the twenty fourth century forward. They're all space time traveling. Right. So, so time becomes irrelevant <laughs> right. because everybody has access to space time travel. Yeah. Right. Um, or at least the, like certain people do, and so there's all of this space time travel going on, which means that the timeline kind of breaks at the point that it's created. Right. But in order yeah. to preserve time up until that point, so that you don't, because if you you have to get to time, that point, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you yeah. Then, and so I thought like it's this is where I say like it's very hard sci-fi, much like uh, the Eternaut, mm-hmm. and, and but then it's got like our heroes are very much heroes out of something like John Carter, totally. Right. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a what a great concept, and um, I I don't know how much the movie takes from this because yeah. the trailers don't really tell us no. anything about the movie. So kind of set a tone. Yeah, exactly. And the tone, I feel like the tone is not really the same as this book. But then it's certainly not the same as this first volume. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it, they and if they can get into more aliens and that kind of stuff in other volumes, then then we'll see. Yeah. Um, okay. So the the plot of this book is that this one guy named Zombul. Yeah. Um, he has escaped from prison in the 28th century and has traveled back to 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they send Valerian to go and and track him down and catch him and bring him back. Yeah. Uh, and he gets into trouble. So and he, he has to go to New York. So he goes to New York. It's completely flooded. Yeah. Because this is a post-apocalyptic kind of setting. And uh, um, yeah. And, and that's basically it. I don't know. We need to yeah, go into any I, more detail than that. I love the that in 1967, um, they wrote this sci-fi story that takes place in 1986, where a nuclear arms cache is detonated in the Arctic, which causes the ice caps to melt. Right. Which is what 
sets everything off. Yeah. It changes the, the temperature of the planet, like the climate of the planet and the seas rise. And so in 2017, <laughs> that hasn't is, happened yet, which is what 40 years after. Yeah. Right. I, we are watching that happen, yeah. but it's happening quote really, unquote really naturally. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it, you know, I mean, oh, people would argue, still, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, human interference obviously has something to do with it. But uh, we're we're watching it happen a little bit more organically than it happening by virtue of nuclear right missiles being detonated. Well, therefore, the it's Arctic. unfolding. It'll so take slow, generations. Yeah. yeah, but but I just think that the the um, the wherewithal to extrapolate that in 1967 mm-hmm. um which would be probably around the time that things like climate science are really starting to develop um and maybe some of these hypotheses about global warming and climate change are actually starting to become a thing right so they obviously one of them somebody heard this and then it and then it became the basis for uh really like sort of the setting at least of this book yeah um, i wonder and if a very important part of the history of the world of learning for sure and i i kind of feel like this could possibly have been just a that was the concept that he wanted to get across like yeah. a cautionary tale yeah um, sure. of the future and and it was just a one-off volume because yeah. this is standalone there's it doesn't you don't have to have a second volume after yeah. this um but then people really reacted positive positively to it and so yeah. then they continued on with the series um, but yeah, it's, uh, and, and the artist to go along with it is just fantastic. Yeah. I love it. And, 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 um, I knew the, the French element to it cause it's kind of hard to, to miss it. Yep. Um, but I didn't, I didn't realize the Belgian side. And when you, when you bring in the Belgian comic side, it starts to make more sense because, um, when you look at, at the way that Valerian is illustrated, mm-hmm. the, the character oh, totally. himself, as, as well as a lot of the other human characters, that it's very Belgian comics of like, yep. it's heroic. He's heroic looking, but he's also a cartoon character, right? Oh, like yeah. he has a, he's got rounded features and it's very, it's very, actually like from the cover, cause I, I had only like kind of peeked in it and really just looked at the cover and and had seen the trailers and stuff like that and vaguely knew what Valerian was. And then when I open it up into under the you open the first page and you see the illustration of Valerian and Loreline. Um That's, which which is what is being like this this is actually the cover that, image. Yeah, yeah. For the for the collection, right? So oh, that, yes, that is, yes. That was sort of like the the um that's what I thought it was going to look like inside. And then you open it up and it's actually like very cartoony. So his art progresses as it goes along to be oh, a much sure. more realistic as you yeah. go further down the line. Um, Even within the volume by the end of, by the end of this first volume. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, it looks very different from when it started. This book was serialized over, I think two years or <laughs> yeah, something like okay. that. So he did develop right away. But, and as it, as it goes along, if you go to the later volumes yeah. there, they don't look cartoony at all. They're very yeah, realistic, yeah. but yeah, it has a very similar, I would say like, um, like a Spiro or, um, or Tintin kind of, yeah. it's got that flair to, to yeah. the character designs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which at first, like it took a second to get used to that because yeah. I had seen some of these other images 
and probably stuff from later on. Yeah. And and gotten into my head what I thought this book was going to be, and then you open it, and it's like, well, this is very cartoony looking. But then, but you then know, it, you kind of get through. You it, get and through it's it. Like the you forget about that after a while. You do, yeah. And and even though the the character models might be a little bit loose and um and cartoony, the uh, the the world building in the art is actually phenomenal. Yes. Um and. 1967, I mean, like, this is sort of this is the heyday of hard sci-fi, right? Yeah. Like, this is the same era as things like, uh, uh, I mean, Starship Troopers, I think, might be a little bit earlier than that, but, like... like well, Battlestar, the first Battlestar Galactica was yeah. there. You're talking about, like, the original Star Trek was yeah. right in original the middle Star of this. Yeah, original Star Trek, I, I, you're, you're pretty close in there. I think it's 69 is... Um, 2001 yeah and so yeah like you're like right in the heart uh planet of the apes like like this is this is coming out of probably um the golden age of Mm sci-fi and you can tell because this is this amazing look at new york city um post-apocalypse and this might be this might be one of the first times that we've seen something like that with the 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 towers covered in vines and and that sort of it's thing. It's so like, good, yeah. Which is something that is done time and time again now to the mm-hmm. point where it's becoming a little bit played out, right? Right. Um, yeah, well, every like disaster movie, especially yeah. because we go so heavy on special effects, you can yeah. see New York City being destroyed like it is in this book. Yeah. But the images here are so striking, so so yeah. incredible when they're when the whole city's collapsing. Yeah, like there's just, an originality to it, yeah. and even though we've seen it a billion times at this point in 2017, when you're reading it, you still get the sense that like. This is one of the first times that somebody's decided to do this <laughs> yeah. to New York City, right? And it would, and you you can understand why this would have been well received because people would have been reading this and they would have been like, "Whoa, yeah, the greatest city in the world, right?" Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah, especially in the '60s. I mean, like you're talking about New York City, yep, yep, right? It, yeah, the it, World it, Fair was just there. And, yeah, like people yeah. people had this reverence for New York City that um, then in the '70s and '80s sort of got undermined by the the city being really sort of dirty and and crime ridden and that sort of thing and it wasn't yep. until the 90s that they started to clean it up again and and now it's considered like a tourist <laughs> yeah destination right? right like that's kind of how we think of new york city today it's like oh you think of central park and times square and the right. museums and art galleries and stuff like that but you don't really think of it as like the greatest city in the world anymore right there's so many great cities that you just kind of ignore that and i think especially after 9 11 yeah i think that had a lot to do with shaping the way people view new york city yeah i mean that's why it was a target yeah greatest city in the world yeah so um and you you don't see the any the twin towers in this book because they hadn't been built yet. yes (laughs) so that's interesting the the, uh the empire state building is the tallest building in in midtown manhattan um yeah it but it's just there there's just this great grit and and um even though it's very loose art it there's this realism to it that you kind of forget the character models a little bit well i don't even think it i wouldn't call it loose it's um it's tight and even <clears throat> the even the cartooniness of it they are solid grounded yeah cartoony characters i just mean like in terms of like like sometimes you'll be on a page and uh 
uh, it'll be like outlines and that sort of thing. So it's very like, it's very atmospheric. Right. right? I see. It's, I, I, it's yeah, not, I it's not about like, like perfect draftsmanship. It's about, it's really just about getting the feeling of what it is. Um, yeah. And, and that to me, like there's a lot of energy and motion in, uh, in, in a lot of it. So like something like, like this, this page, page 26 that we're looking at, you see, like, it's very like, silhouetted there's a lot of really great ink work that in black and white you would still mm-hmm. be able to tell what everything is yeah but it's very it's very it's it there, there's a lot of like broad shapes i guess is kind of what i'm getting at when i say right. that it's loose okay right? yep yeah yeah but, but yeah. i say i think it's 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 really really beautiful it's a beautiful book um and so i'm very i'm super interested to read further to check out other ones yeah especially um, the one the movie's based on yeah because um, that one was i guess popular enough for them to yeah. use it as their basis so yeah um yeah definitely i'd like to check out that and i think i'll try and pick up the the uh the, the, collected, the collections yeah. as well since they are not there they look great i i've seen yeah. them seen pictures i would love of them. to I, I like one of the reasons why i want to read more is because i really like the aspect of this where Valerian comes back and then he's got his sort of um, his protege, Loreline, who uh, he leaves behind. He goes on his own and he's there for four days and then she shows up to rescue him. Yeah. And then she goes on to explain that she used one of the time space vehicles to travel back to the same day that he arrived, but in Brazil and then took four days to track him down and come up with a plan to <laughs> get him out, which which is great because they know that he's in danger because he doesn't check in. Right. Right? So they send her back to the point in time when he gets there so that she can figure out how to save him right in due time yeah, right yeah. because Cause she because she has no idea what she's stepping into because no one goes back to 1986 yeah, and, but they're they're time traveling heroes so she doesn't show up at the point that he's in trouble she shows up before he's in trouble yeah in order to get him right before it gets really bad right, right. yeah and and i think that that's <laughs> like that sort of um as doc brown would refer to it fourth dimensional thinking is what makes good time travel stories mm. good mm-hmm. and bad time travel stories bad is when like <laughs> that that fourth dimensional thinking is off so like yeah. the legends of tomorrow tv series their fourth dimensional oh, man, thinking yeah. is terrible, yeah. right? The adventure on the they, show they, is fine. The but funny thing is that they try so hard to yeah. to shoehorn their fourth dimensional thinking in there, yeah. and but it just it's not. It doesn't. It work. doesn't work. And the problem there is that I you you have to write a story like this, kind of all at once, especially when it's fourth dimensional. I think you have to kind of map it out and go, okay, this these characters are here and here. Yeah. And there's not a lot of time travel in this one, but what is there you can tell were ideas that that uh, uh, Kristen already had, Yeah. right? And he was just like looking for a story to put them into, which is one of the other things that makes it very reminiscent of John Carter to me because you can tell when you're reading the John Carter books that Edgar Rice Burroughs had some of these ideas floating around. Yeah. Like you could, you kind of feel that he had like note paper <laughs> scattered around and then he'd totally. be like, yeah. that's a great place to introduce this idea. Right. Mm-hmm. And oh, I'll bring this in and that sort of thing. And this is very similar to, to that idea. Um, yeah. I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. It, it. I thought it was a really great book and I'm, I'm yeah. excited to read more of it eventually. Um, 
and I, the movie looks like it is totally not the tone. Yeah. Of at least this book. I don't know if the tone changes in further books, but yeah, I don't know either. But at least from this initial story, the tone of the movie looks completely different. Um, mm-hmm. Not in a bad way. Uh, just totally different. But that's okay because. Well, I think the director, what's his name? Luke, Luke, Luke Basson. Bas- Basson. Yeah. He's trying to make it look like Fifth Element because. That, Very, yeah. yeah. And it's I, the thing that I like about the movie from what I've seen is that it's sexy sci fi, which, like, that there's a it's sort of a very specific genre of sci-fi film that yeah. i i don't feel like we get to see very often anymore because stuff like star wars is what people think sells so i uh, actually i guess it is what sells it does sell and then when you redo star trek which i think previously was sexy sci-fi you know star trek the original series yeah. at least um when you remake Star Trek, you remake it as more of a Star Wars yep. version of Star they Trek, sure right? Did. They kind of got rid of. There's some sexy stuff in Star Trek, but it's not the same, right? It's not. It's not necessarily a matter of like, oh, there are like half naked girls yep. or sexy. It's like there's like a there's like an energy in those trailers that is very. Um, it is like sexually charged even when there's nothing sexy going on well on it's screen. a yeah it's, it's a very adrenaline. much like yeah. like fifth element right yeah like that's it's fifth element's a great example of that so um i get where that's coming from from these books because there's definitely the moment when loreline gets shrunk <laughs> yeah um and, and then it starts to grow and again. it starts to grow back and it rips her clothes for no reason other than to show a little bit of leg but it, it was just it, a little it didn't even just a little I, bit. I mean this was 1967 yeah. so it, it's like it's just enough yeah. right but it was just enough to be titillating yep yep right especially in 1967 <laughs> i'm sure that it was like the other part of that is that like it's an all-male cast right except for loreline yeah. she's this token girl and she just happens to be this stunning redhead right like like you you kind of get that feeling of like well, she's really just there for the eye candy, but but then, she saves. But, the, but, but then she's imbued with this great yeah. character, and that to me, again, when you get into that that this era of of hard sci fi, this is the era when that character starts to come out, hmm. right? Okay, that, that character of like the the sort of like hard nosed female. I, I femme fatale in the, in the sixties, right? Like yep. that's when like in James Bond and all that sort of thing. Like that's when I think inspired by the femme fatales of, of like the 1930s and forties cinema, but right. like the sixties is really when that type of character starts to coalesce into mm-hmm. uh, leading lady type characters. Um, and you can see a little bit of that in this. And so that to me really informs that the Luc Besson vision of Valerian. Um, okay. And then the other part of it is that I can see where like, because it is European, there is a little bit of, um, <clears throat> especially when you look at, at this, this cover art that's on the inside cover, um, a little bit of that Mobius yep. vibe. Yeah. It's not quite the same. It's not it's, as out there as Mobius, yeah. but, um, but Luc Besson is a huge Mobius fan. Oh yeah. And so that's like, fifth element is very very influenced by that cool and then you can see that influence bleeding into 
yeah. Valerian, right? So I think that yeah. was kind of the 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 genesis of that, right? Like that you, you kind of see where he starts to pull things together and, and pulls in inspiration and you can kind of understand um, how you get from this book to that movie. Um, right. I, what I'll be interested to see is if they adapt the story of the nuclear missiles in 1986 to be climate change in the early 2000s yeah because that was so specific to the time with the cold war and such but um that's that's where like i i like it could be north korea or something like that it could be (laughs) i like that kind of reinterpretation though like that's um i'm of the mind that when you adapt something from one genre or one medium to, to the next that you have to adapt it to that medium, yeah. right? And we talked about Scott Pilgrim, uh, and Scott Pilgrim is a great example of that, where like what works in the comics doesn't necessarily work in the film, yeah. right? And so the story is much more condensed. Um, the the he doesn't fight a robot at a party, right? He like the, the whole thing with the twins turns into another storyline yeah. in the movie. That's way which, more condensed, which works visually and it wouldn't work and, in the comics and informs the, the through line in the movie of them being a band, which is much less yeah. important in the books because the books take place over a much longer period where they kind of are the band and then they aren't the band. Well, and music right? can't, doesn't come across in the same way when you're reading it. Exactly. Yeah. So like that's a, it's a great example of a of adaptation yep and then the flip side of that is when you try and do something like harry potter or lord of the rings and you are so beholden to the material that you don't really change that much (laughs) and so you just end up creating this half-hearted piece of film that's really missing the core parts of the story because you didn't adapt the story you just translated the story from book right to screen right so i like which is what people think that they want when they want to see a movie based on a book but it actually isn't yeah for sure um yeah you do want you want it to be its own medium. Look at the Marvel movies, right? The Marvel movies are inspired by, um, but they are not, not you know, all. panel for panel interpretations. No. They don't even, they, fo- they the characterizations completely yeah. change, right? Yep. Um, but you got to keep the soul of the characters and that's what they do so well. Yeah. That's what's important, right? So it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to see the movie because I love Luke Besson. I think he's an amazing filmmaker. Um, Fifth Element's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I put it in my top 10. Um, and then this book was pretty good. I mean, I read it in about 45 minutes, <laughs> cover to cover. And uh, 45 minutes for 48 pages is actually a long time, I think. Yeah. But I, it's actually very dialogue heavy. Hey, it, it is very, very dialogue heavy. There's, yeah, there's a lot of text on some of these pages. And then I, there are a lot of panels on some of these pages. True. So when you're following that art and sort of... yeah taking it in uh, mm-hmm. it, it yeah it, it did take me around 45 minutes i was distracted by kids <laughs> too, but yeah um so the uh, the movie the title of the movie is just valerian it drops loreline yeah and i think that that's just too bad that they have to to yeah. focus on the the male character and, and yeah just i think I, I think they're more that's more like a studio decision of because you know a catchy title the yeah the thing with the title valerian and the city of a thousand planets like that doesn't even get across valerian's not a name right right? like as far as i know maybe it is in europe but 
Um, as far as I know, that's that's like a but it name sounds that cool. was made up for this. But it sounds really yeah. cool, and it's a great brand, right? Valerian and Loreline. It's just clunky. Doesn't sound like a movie I yeah. would go see, right? Um, I guess so. So yeah, I I do think that that that's like that's a very studio producer decision of like it's mm-hmm. just Valerian because Valerian could be either one of them if you're just watching the trailer right yeah, yeah. um it, it it doesn't really matter maybe Valerian is the city of a thousand planets <laughs> i don't know right like yeah you like you you don't have to know in order to want to see the movie the movie kind of sells itself just on the visuals right so that seems like it all has a going for it <laughs> yeah well we'll see but we will see yeah let me know how it is yep i, definitely I have know. such a backlog of movies i want to see i'm still trying to get to see wonder woman but that might not happen You're still trying I... to see wonder yeah have you seen i know Spider-Man no yet? i haven't seen that one either oh. it's just uh it's just been too busy yeah. man but uh yeah we'll get around there but cool. this one unfortunately is just in the queue and i don't even know if i'll get to it oh, before yeah. it's out of the it's theaters probably a, it's probably a netflix now i've read a lot of articles that say that this movie is very it uh it influenced star wars in a lot of ways the Um, the book you mean yeah the book the the book valerian and lauraline more the series itself yeah um and i did you get a sense of of star wars when you read this um i don't know i i mean there's some sci-fi stuff maybe but star wars doesn't deal with any time travel or or really I mean, Star Star Wars is not hard sci-fi. Star Wars right. is very, very soft sci-fi. Yeah. Um, it's much more fantasy driven than it is sci-fi driven. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I don't really get that. Um, I mean, like, I think, I think all of the hard sci-fi of the, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s influenced George Lucas because he was a huge geek like yeah. we are. So I'm sure... I'm sure that he read this. I guarantee you that he's read this, yeah. right? Like, for sure. But did it influence him? I don't know if it influenced him any more than um, the things that influenced this influenced him. Uh, so I would say, like, the bigger the bigger part of that is that um, John Carter inspired buck rogers and flash gordon and buck rogers and flash gordon in turn inspired george lucas to make star wars i see so and then there's a little bit of the edgar rice burroughs stuff that also directly influences star wars but because that stuff is also prevalent in this it's like yeah well there's obviously there's there's dna that they share that they all share but i don't know that i would consider this influencing star wars maybe maybe the later stuff i don't know i mean like i think i think that i really need to read um the empire of a thousand planets because yeah. i'll bet you that that is probably more so or influencing um, something like star wars some, well you got to get to a volume that takes place in the future or in space yeah. uh, to really feel that probably because this takes place in 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 new york a rundown to yeah. new york so that's all right away that's not star wars yeah so for sure yeah, yeah. Oh, okay um, yeah, and this is a much, even though this, the, the concepts are way out there, I feel like this is a much more, um, low level story than something like Star Wars. Star Wars is so epic and, yeah. you know, grand in scope. Um, this is much more like just a, a bad guy, a good guy tracking down a bad guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like in the same way that, that it is inspired by, uh, 
that Edgar Rice Burroughs, especially when you say that it's serialized, it's like, yeah, well, that's where, that's well, like, where yeah, it's and like getting Asimov and yeah, yeah, it's all, it's the same thing. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, like as we both read more of these in the future, I'm sure that, that that opinion might change, but, but as of reading this book, I don't see that personally. Right. Yeah. Well, what this does want me to to do is is talk more, like bring in more French books mm-hmm. to our podcast here because I don't yeah, we don't sure. really touch that very often. Yeah. And you mentioned Mobius. I love Mobius. I've read so much Mobius, mm-hmm. and yeah. there are just some remarkable stories there. So uh, I'll pick I'll pick a yeah. Mobius sooner or later. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Right. Well, what are we re- what are we talking about in the next episode, Mike? Uh, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about Snot Girl, uh, which is uh, the latest series and an ongoing series from uh, Brian Lee O'Malley um, and Leslie Hung. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, we're going to talk about volume one, Snot Girl, Green Hair, Don't Care. <laughs> Sounds uh, great. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. There it is. Go see the movie. And yeah. uh, if you are listening and you will feel inclined to send us an email, and let me know what you think of, uh, of Valerian. We'd yeah. be interested to hear. For sure. Cool. Thanks for listening. Keep reading comics. For more episodes of the Pullbox Podcast, visit us at pullboxpodcast.com or on iTunes. You can find me on various social media websites. Just search for Curtis Findlay, and that's Curtis with a K. You can follow me on Twitter at ArcWolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F, and, you know, on Tumblr and Instagram and all those other social medias as well. Uh, go to patreon.com slash thunderquack to support us, where you can kick in as little as a dollar and get a bunch of great rewards the exclusive Thunderquack podcast, as well as access to the Facebook group. And by getting access to the Facebook group, you get that direct line to us to send us suggestions for what we should read on the podcast. If you like this podcast, you can check out other great podcasts on the Thunderquack network by heading to thunderquack.com. 